0: physicians get to know all about their specialties their hobbies and get an inside look on the life of a physician. We have some really exciting guests lined up to be on the show with us and we are so excited to share all of this with our listeners. I am one of your hosts Kaylee and I'm joined today by Sam. Hey guys. And Dr. Russell Horton. Hello. Uh, Let's get into the episode and talk about what inspired us to start this podcast. I'm going to kick it over to Sam.
1: Okay, so Kaylee and I, we work with physicians every day, and Russell is a physician. So, as we were kind of getting to know our physicians and our APPs, we'll just call them providers to keep things simple, um, just all of this super interesting, engaging, fun conversations were happening all around our organization. We started to realize that we had this talent and these connection to these people with extraordinary expertise, fascinating life experiences, and really powerful stories to share, but no real way to get them out there. So, talk to a doc podcast was born. It's all about creating a community and a point of connection for providers to share their experiences, their insights, their expertise, discuss tough questions, and just have a really good time. So, at the end of the day, docs are just like people. They like Taco Bell. They have a sense of humor, and sometimes are even feel as awkward as we do during your visit.
2: That's yeah, one hundred percent correct. Yeah, about the Taco <laughs> Bell and the awkwardness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love I love this as a medium for us to to talk in. And it feels a little bit amateurish. It feels a little bit like casual and fun. And I, I hope everyone enjoys it as much as we do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so today we sat down with Dr. Adiola Adeleo. Um she is a pediatric psychiatrist with Banner um, and we sat with her for about an hour and talked through all things a day in the life um, where she's from where she went to med school she had a lot of interesting perspectives on pediatric care especially with everything going on in light of COVID-19 so we had a really amazing discussion with her and we can't wait for you to listen We are here with Dr. Adaleo. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We're super excited to have you. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Um, So just to kick us off, tell us a little bit about your background. What made you join medicine? What got you into medicine, your profession? Um, Give us a little bit of
3: an intro. So this is always an interesting question because I, in retrospect, (laughs) To think I've had um, a dream as far back as five feels weird saying that because I did not plan, I'm not a planner, but I will say that when I was about five, I remember putting paper in my ears and my parents had to take me <laughs> to the surgery and um, my pediatrician was there and spoke with the surgeon. But there was something just very interesting about the whole setup, about my mom's anxiety about having something deep down in my ear. I don't know, I think I was trying to take out the wax and then I went too deep and the papers got stuck there. But I, I decided I was going to be a doctor uh-huh. at that uh-huh. moment at age five. And um, I just stuck to it the entire time. And I kept saying, oh, I'll be a doctor. I think I didn't have the full um, understanding of what that meant. I just thought it was interesting at that time. Um, Luckily, I liked science and school, so I just continued on with that dream, thinking I was either going to be a pediatrician or something in women's health. And so that's how Uh medicine started for me. You
2: have me beat by about 13 years on deciding what you want to do, so good for you (laughs) on that.
3: And that's why it's very, very funny to say that, because now I'm I'm a planner, but just a year ahead. You know, I could not imagine having planned something from age five, right. in retrospect. And my parents just continued to listen and continued to encourage. No one discouraged me. I would say it. And it would be funny. They thought it was funny. <laughs> because we didn't have any doctors in my family at that time. So mm-hmm. just, I just kept saying, I'll be a doctor. Yeah, And I remember saying it all the time.
0: That's awesome. It's cool that your own experience created your own dream.
3: That's true. That's, awesome.
0: That's true. So where did you grow up?
3: So my dad was a diplomat, and um, we grew up in different places. But I would say that uh, my background is Nigerian. Okay. Yeah, and um, both my parents are Nigerian. I had most of my formative years in Nigeria, but we traveled out a lot, um, quite a bit. Then um, when I finished high school, which I finished a little early, about 15, I came to the United States for college. And then I took a gap year because it was they just thought it was odd to start college <laughs> at that age. And so I was, I did nothing for a year. I got frustrated That's with great. my parents. Yeah, you think so? <laughs> I was very frustrated. I, I would watch my siblings go to school and I, so eventually um, I I don't think I, luckily um the way the American system works is that you can start s- school in January or, um and it will be the beginning of a college year versus all of the um all other countries i'm familiar with where everyone starts at the same time you mm-hmm. know and so you have to wait the entire year before you can start and so that one year gap year turned into six months and i jokingly went to community college saying i was going to do something i don't care but i needed to leave the house yeah and so that's how i went <laughs> that's how i started
0: school. that's awesome i think tons of us can relate to you just need to leave the house right now too <laughs> especially yeah. who knew you'd find yourself here again <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> That's funny. Great. So, wait, so you entered college at
1: 15 in America? 16.
3: 16, yeah.
1: That is incredible. Where Where did you go?
3: I was in Illinois. So all my siblings, um, my parents already knew we we're going to go to school in the States. So I'm one of seven. And so all the first five, the first four were already in Illinois. And so I joined them straight out of high school. And so that's why I stayed at home for a little bit. And then I was able to get my transcript to really prove that I am done with high school. <laughs> and <Yeah>. um, so <laughs> so then and I think they needed time to convert a lot of the grades or something. Yeah. It just took a little bit of time. And so then I started one day. I was able to prove that I was done with high school. Wow. Yeah.
2: And Thank you so. still wanted to go to medical school at that point? Was that still your yeah. goal? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I didn't... Um, when I um, completed high school, I, I had already gone the science track. So all of my um, subjects were in science. And if I'd um, continued on in the United Kingdom, it would just be seamless transition to that's how they do. It. You just go straight to um, starting medical school without doing the four years college. You just start, start with the. So most of my subjects were already in um, the science track. So then I did undergrad. What did I do? On the, I think I did undergrad in French. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask me. <laughs> that's,
2: cool. that's great. Yeah. That's you awesome. got the rest of your life to do science. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Are you fluent in French? Not, Not at, all. at all. Okay. <laughs> all
2: right. She got the degree. That's all that matters.
3: <laughs> I was interested in French movies at that time, I think. Oh, that's <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> so that's it. Um, but yeah, so if, um, finished um, college, did cat. I I loved everything about the United States because nothing was always set in stone. You could switch. You know, I I think I appreciated that a lot. But sometimes it can fill me with anxiety. So I thought, you know, let me make sure that I want to do this. And so MCAT came and I um, wanted to take it almost as a test, the first one. Um, Let's see how it goes, you know, and if it didn't work out or if I bombed it really badly, then I would not redo it for real. But then I passed the first one. Um, mother and I thought I was going to do, and then I got accepted to the first medical school I applied to, which wow. were, yeah, I knew I was going to stay in Chicago, so that's how I was just a little seamless. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. Um, where did you go in Chicago?
3: So I went to University of Illinois. Okay. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Great. Very
2: cool. So were you? At that point, thinking I want to go into behavioral health or psychiatry, or never, was it just I'll take you know never, take this where it takes me?
3: Never, I will say that I'd never heard of psychiatry sincerely before. I've been trying to think about this deeply, and I have, and the longer I think about it, I've never heard of psychiatry before medical school.
2: Hmm.
3: Hmm. I'd heard of counseling, you know, and I knew that it was a different track. But I just never heard of, you know, behavioral health or psychiatry. Um, it's not anything I identify with, definitely growing up in Nigeria. So it was come I went in there, I was going to be a pediatrician. Worst case scenario, I was going to do OBGYN. Um, worst case scenario. <laughs> if I liked it. <laughs> I hated both. So much. So much. I hated. It. I I um I honestly thought, what am I doing in med school? Because then I discovered I truly didn't like pain, physical pain. I didn't like blood, not at all. I um, I had a lot of soul searching in um, third year. You know, I think my first rotation, which I immediately picked, was pediatri- pa- um, pediatrics for clerkship. I didn't particularly, I loved kids. I just was um, on the oncology floor for much longer than someone should mm. if you wanted to do That's a really pediatrics. Hard place to yes. I couldn't, I remember all of my, um, most of my oncology kids patient. um, I remember a nine month old coming with, you know, hepatic cancer. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was too much. I couldn't, you know, do it. Um, So then I did OBGYN. I didn't particularly like the unpredictability of when the babies come. (laughs) I wanted my life. Yeah, 2 a.m. Why does the baby come in now? Yeah, so I was just um, torn. I really was until my last rotation was psychiatry, mm-hmm. and I loved it. Everything about it. I felt like I was home. You know, in the especially the child unit um, or the adolescent unit, it just didn't feel like work. Uh, mm-hmm. I, and I kept thinking there had to be a catch. Like, what's the catch? Is this um, is this medicine? <laughs> what what are we doing here? You know. And then the more I started to do look at the um, biologic nature of behavioral health. I thought, oh my God, home run. This is what I'm going to do. I remember a lot of my um, attendants telling me, Didi, you're too smart to do psychiatry. Why are you doing it? Literally would call me in to their offices, especially the surgeons. And I liked surgery, but I, knew I didn't want to do it. And so I would then second guess, like maybe I should do something else. Maybe this is, but I couldn't deny that I liked it. When I got home and I told my family, and they were like, are you kidding me? <laughs> All this years in med school to do what? Because in Nigeria, nobody talked about mental health by any stretch of the imagination. So my parents, they knew I was, once I make up my mind, it was hard to said It just felt like I didn't have to work. Everything else, I would have to pretend to like it, but this was Um, effortless so then they supported it but it was very interesting getting to that point for me as a Nigerian that never talked about behavioral health but um I'm glad I did it
1: why do you think that behavioral health isn't covered in Nigeria
3: well it's stigma there's no other word to say um because once again we call it behavioral health I hate that categorization because it sounds like something you do volitionally like it's within your um It's within your power to stop it. It sounds like a behavior, you know, and you're choosing to do it. I think Um, also just because whenever um, something happens where a behavior shows and you act strangely that people do not know about and they they do not talk about the science behind it, um, everyone hides it. It's a stigma. Why, Why is someone talking to themselves? Or why is this child so hyper and all the other kids are able to sit still? You know, it just, it, it separates you from normal, quote unquote, whatever that is. And so then there's a lot of stigma attached to it. And so people don't talk about it. They hide anyone that has any sort of psychiatric or behavioral issues, they hide them. You know, you will never, you go to a home and that child will be in some room somewhere so that they do not um, sort of embarrass the family. And so there was a lot of stigma attached to it, or they will always think um, <clears throat> it's spiritual. So they will take them to the witch doctor, you know, and say, please, because maybe we sinned, we did this thing and this is a punishment, or maybe someone is like being hexed, <laughs> truly. All of those cultural connotations that go with having a behavioral health. So, um, but I didn't, even with that, I didn't grow up even talking about hexed or whatever, because that was not our culture. Um, per se in our family, but our parents had that understanding. And yeah, that's what it just, I think my parents would like to think they're more educated What we just didn't talk about it, you know? Or they knew it was silly to say, oh, that person will go to the witch doctor. We just didn't have that sort of talk. But in in retrospect, that's what people did. They hid it, yeah.
2: Do you feel like we have that a little bit in America or probably other other parts of the world, too, where we, maybe we don't lock them in a room, but there's a lot of stigma attached to, especially with kids. I think if a child is having you know behavioral problems, again, maybe not a good word for it, but if they're having those troubles, I think parents tend to try and apologize for it or hide it. There's a lot of shame that happens. Yes. Yes. Um, and so then... You know that snowballs into probably a lot of family conflict that I'm sure you see. So I mean, are we at risk of maybe not in the same way, but having some of the same outcomes of just not facing it head on, not being open?
3: For sure, and um, I think it's a continuum, truly. And so when we talk about um, complete hiding and shame and guilt. Um, with Africa or even any other, you know, developmental um, developing countries, it's just from, for the most part, lack of education, right? And so in the United States, where we are aware that there is um, behavioral health, but it still does not stop us from having shame about it. Because once again, it's a behavior you cannot help and you do it in public and people stare, you know, because they do not know, what it is that's causing it. And so there's also that a little bit of the shame um, attached to it, you know. But we're more, I think we're a little more um, advanced in terms of awareness. Um, and I'm hoping the more we talk about it, uh, this generation is, um, I'm completely um, in awe of this generation and how much they talk about it, especially child um, adolescents. Now they're talking more about it and they're forcing people to talk about it. That's not to say that it's not very um, scary. It makes them feel very vulnerable, but they are more open compared to even 10 years ago. I'm not sure if that's internet, if that's just people get more education about it. But since when I even started my career and um, I've seen a, a, um, a trend towards more understanding. Um, is it the best to no. know yeah, there are some families that still have a lot of guilt and shame? Yes. Compared to if the child had diabetes versus bipolar, yeah, there's uh, night and day difference in the in the um, acceptance of the illness, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of work, yeah. 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 There's still a lot of work, especially around suicide, around parasuicidal behaviors, that sort of thing. I mean, once again, that's at the very end of um, a severe um, psychiatric illness. And so there's, all, there's, it's just, there's a lot of unpacking to do emotionally, whether you're a family member or whether you're the one going through it and not having the sort of control that people think you should have because it's psychiatric versus if you check a lab and you see diabetes. Oh, OK, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. science behind it yeah. versus there's no science. There's no lab I can check to diagnose myself with bipolar. And so why am I acting different? You know and so it's it's just fraught with a lot of people mystery and anything that has
2: i feel like you have a child that's diagnosed with type 1 diabetes which is devastating to the family of course but there's there's treatments there's things that can be done and that kid gets a facebook page about like here's what's going on let's all rally around them right. you tell your kid they have bipolar the family's probably not going home to, Put to, to make a facebook page and Absolutely. advertise that and Absolutely. You know, that's, I, I think that's where we, we don't look at it like a disease. We look mm-hmm. at it like a problem, mm-hmm.
3: right. which is
2: splitting hairs maybe, but not, um, not how we want to, people, people to feel about, about their own illness.
3: You saying that brings up a great point um, about why now that I think about a lot, you know, growing up really and seeing a lot of things that I thought were weird, Now I see that it was most likely psychiatric and nobody talked about it. And there's a saying, it's a horrible saying in my language (laughs) that says that um, the paddle is the medicine for schizophrenia. Do you know what I mean? So if you had a child that had early onset schizophrenic behavior and they're so out of control, they think the paddle is, I I wish I could say (laughs) in my language the way it sounds so crazy and stark but they really believe it and it's almost like like a proverb, like a proverbial, you know, this is what you need to do. Like, what what are you talking about? Take the person to the doctor when we have a good paddle. And so, yeah, it's like I'm going to correct a behavior and I'm going to correct it by what we do to correct, which is punishment um, or, yeah, or um, consequences, um, negative typically. And so, yeah. Um, this is funny. I hope my brother does not listen to this, but he—he he was so hyper. He was so the so whole hyper. world's gonna hear this. <laughs> <know. to> <laughs> he was so hyper, and I couldn't understand it. He was brilliant, but oh my God, he was so hyperactive. All the pa- parents in the neighborhood will come report my kid, uh, my my sibling, that he did this, he did that. You know, in school, he was very disruptive because he couldn't sit still. Brilliant ridiculously brilliant. And so so it had to be that there was something wrong with him, because for the most part, really, people knew that you could have a child with Down syndrome or you could have a syndromal illness that is medical and have behavioral symptoms, so they expect that. They didn't expect it from a very normal-looking kid that um, was smart, straight A's. I wish I was half as smart. But now, in retrospect, he had ADHD. That was never that went undiagnosed for years, and I cannot tell you the amount of consequences it got. At some point, the 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 feedback from our parents were, "If anyone plays with Hakim, you're going to get in trouble. Just leave him." Do you know what I mean? It's like just leave him alone because whatever game we we play together turns into, I mean, a huge fight because he didn't win and he he just throws everything. He, he was just very very what's yeah impulsive and um so now i laugh at him because he's the he's the calmest human being in the world he married my best friend we met in med school (laughs) and i keep thinking is this the same kid he was he would fix anything fixable he his brain worked that way like your toy spalls is not making the noise is not walking he will get the toy car takes it opens everything and then rearranges it and then puts it back. Sometimes it doesn't have to be broken for him to want to know what's in there. And then he'll. My mom will be so frustrated because they're all new toys she's gotten for us. It's all open. <laughs> <laughs> are there pieces everywhere? <laughs> and then he'll put it back together. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. So I will think about all of these kids that I grew up with, and then now I'm realizing that oh, their sibling had autism. That's why they will stare. And not say some things, or when they say things, it's just so off the wall. Not in a bad way, but it made sense for them at that time. And maybe whatever we were talking about was not what they were talking about, but it made sense. And then I, I sometimes I was so torn, what's the word, conflicted by how even I reacted when we were growing up. Sometimes I'll tell the friend please you guys can come over but leave your brother home. <laughs> you know stuff like that that was so cruel and mean because we just did not know and nobody talked about it. But um yeah. So that's interesting.
1: I know so little bit about behavioral health uh physicians. Can you tell me like what is an average day in your life?
3: Well, because I work inpatient and um I did outpatient before. Average day um is interesting because now all the kids in the hospital are all in some sort of, um, how will I put it? So they're in some crisis for the most part. And so it's interesting to see how one little, well, no, I won't call it little, one crisis for one family member becomes a crisis for the entire family. And so I think child psychiatry is interesting yet tough in that aspect is that you're not treating just the child because the child is within a family systems and so you have to address all of the dynamics and uh, sometimes some parents are not prepared to hear whatever it is you have to say. <laughs> it doesn't matter how you couch it or wrap it or put a bow in it, they're just are not ready for that and so um, it makes every day different uh, and I like that. Um, but the crisis can be tough on you know even we that we're treating it and knowing that we're telling the parents something they've never heard before and something that might be lifelong um, so but i like it it's interesting i get to work typically about maybe eight o'clock and um, i see all of the uh, most of the kids on my unit which is about maybe 16 sometimes 17 um, kids um, and then we'll, we'll round talk, you know, we make it, um, we make it into like interdisciplinary. So everyone is part of it. So we're not all in our silos we're all the case managers, the nurses, the texts that are on the floor with them, we all sit together and talk about each individual child and exactly what that individual child needs. Um, and for everyone to be on the same page that way, so that, um, so that whatever it is we're talking about is, you know, similar across the board, and it's very safe for the child to hear, and then um, talk with the parent as well. So yeah, it can be. Some days are tougher than others, but it's interesting for me. I I enjoy it. I I cannot tell you, even when I complain, I still enjoy it. <laughs> I wouldn't do anything else. I couldn't. I, maybe yeah i couldn't do anything maybe travel i love traveling but in terms of career wise i feel like i'm in the right place and i um, i'm grateful for that i i don't want to do anything else i there's nothing i oh i wish i'd done that nothing that um come close i like that that's so
0: cool
1: i think you'd be perfect i bet you're perfect at your
3: job oh you're so nice (laughs) thanks
0: Um, So tell us a little bit about the effects of COVID-19 and how that has changed what your day looks like and the different cases that you see as a result.
3: It's been so interesting. Um, I've been doing inpatient now at Banner since 2014. So um, almost six, oh wow, it'll be seven years um, in February. I didn't know it was that long. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And I can tell you, um, I can predict to the minute when we're going to go up in terms of census, how, m- how many kids we're gonna get, um, until 2020. It, it, it was like a complete par- paradoxical switch. You know. And so the months where we um, saw more kids that were in crisis flipped completely. And it tells us how much disruption it's had you know, for it to be the exact opposite. It's not even just a little different. Mm -hmm. It's 180 degrees in terms of, I know that when school starts in August, that we'll see more kids by October because that's when they're trying to adjust to a new school year. Some people are transitioning to high school. Some people are transitioning to middle school and it can be very, very um, stressful. And so that's when we'll see kids in crisis, like August month. And then things slows down by um, Halloween <laughs> a little bit. You know, like, okay, I'm getting a groove of this. This is good and all of that stuff. Christmas, nobody. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the hospital. Yeah. I mean, practically nobody. <laughs> yeah. You know, everyone is at home. The holidays are the best time. You know, they know the exams finals are over. Maybe at the beginning of um, December. we might say a few anxious kids that are naturally smart but they worry about how they're going to do for finals. There's no reason to, That, but they would, And they will have to come in sometimes if safety is a concern. But then, so then we will have a break end of December, January, and then school year starts. And then we start to see a little more like February. By summer, empty. Everyone is having a ball. You know, they're like no school, no summer this, we're all going to just have a ball the summer months from May to August, nothing. I mean,
0: of course, of course, (laughs) we're all gone. we're like,
3: hello, let's go have
0: a (laughs) 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 Yeah.
3: It's phenomenal that way. That's why I could predict it. My calendar was like all planned. You know, I've planned it. 2019, my calendar was planned as usual. You know, like summer, this two months, I'm going to go to Spain with my daughter. This two months, we're going to have our summer break this, whatever. And then December we'll go to Nigeria because my, um, my partner goes to India, but this is my year to all planned out tickets, bought everything. COVID started. (laughs) The kids were like, Oh, this is good. March. We're good. We're good. Everything is fine. By May, where we're meant to have the empty rooms we had and it stayed full and it's staying full. Yeah. It, It was so dramatic summer. July, August, we had max. We were, I mean, the adults were even taking time to go out a little bit, but the kids, so the adult unit went down. The kids, you know, stayed full the entire We didn't get a break. So uh, it didn't trail it off. It didn't, after not, so not, many not, months? No, you not at used all. It, no, at no, it was the kids were down at home, not seeing their friends, developmentally appropriate things to do, hang out, Nothing, none of that. Their lives flipped over just the way everyone else, but it was it, it did a huge number in terms of just developmental, all of who that were looking forward to high school, start high school online. The ones that were, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, it was just, so we saw that most this um, summer. When school started and they did online, we were still high. As soon as school in-person came, empty. No joke. They were so happy to go to school. Yeah. <laughs> they were so happy. And that lasted for a little bit. And then um, it, it's still stressful. So now I can see my friends, but we have to do social distancing. We still on all of that stuff. It was just a little too much. And then we started to see them come back into the hospital in crisis again. And now we're still full. Today, um, before coming here, my senses is truly meant to be at 16. I saw 18 kids. Um, yeah. And my partner saw the same thing so it's it's been it's been a year yeah
0: what do you see as long-term of course um this won't be forever at least we hope Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. but what do you see long-term i mean people have been online school for Mm -hmm. they were for an entire semester right and then now some places almost a year right
3: yeah so for us in child psychiatry we always Whenever things is about change, we just say an adjustment disorder and we see how they respond to it eventually long term. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes because something becomes your new normal, it's not as anxiety provoking as it was when it was initially. And so then you see most people just adjust to you like, Okay, this is our new normal, it's not so i'm not so anxious and then that's why we just leave it at adjustment disorder because we're hoping in a perfect world that you just go back to your baseline and most kids do um they that to have lingering depression or anxiety probably have a biological predisposition anyway so anything ridiculously crazy like 2020 was going to bring it out whatever was genetic brewing somewhere and so those kids then we'll just educate them and say okay you know while it was COVID. Restrictions that brought up all of this uh, genetically you are most likely so that you do not feel like why is everyone else doing better and I still I'm still anxious about going back to school or I'm so anxious about still talking on zoom I don't feel comfortable doing all of that you know I would rather in person or then you can tell them that yeah no you're handling it well if you didn't have the genetics for it you know the way you inherited your beautiful eye color you inherited a little bit of depression and anxiety so This is it. It's not because you're not quote unquote strong enough. So you just have to give them that. And sometimes people, not sometimes, most people feel better. There's nothing as bad as feeling like you're not doing as good as your peers. And that age group, your peer comparison is at the highest Mm -hmm. everything. Do you
2: feel like social media, I mean, it, it has to have made that a little harder, I would think, because a lot of what i see and as an outpatient general pediatrician the last year i've had to do more psychiatric care <laughs> from a position that's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. you know ideal we're not specialists mm-hmm. we're trying to kind of keep people afloat until they can mm-hmm. get to someone like you but um mm-hmm. i feel like when they're stuck at home all of us and this is adults too are looking at the computer to connect with our friends and mm-hmm. some of that is facebook or mm-hmm. twitter instagram whatever it is and all you see are seemingly everyone having a better time than you or doing something that you wish you were doing or talking about something in their life that's going on. And a lot of my patients were coming in, I think, just feeling like this is it. I've been abandoned by everything that was important to me. And when you're 16, that doesn't necessarily mean your parents. It means your friends. Absolutely. And now they don't know what to do with it. And they feel like they're just being kind of the waves crashing over their head.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny that before COVID, we used to, um, in the inpatient talk a lot about social media and tell parents about all of the ill of it. You know, I didn't have anything good to say about social media. I never did, ever. And it's funny that when, um, when COVID happened, I was the person now, and this is good and bad, I'll get to your question about social media. But it was me that had to tell them that please let these kids get on social media because they don't have their friends. I would never thought I would say that in my lifetime ever. You know, now I'm the one saying, please don't take their phones. Where before it was like, take that phone instantaneously. You know, like (laughs) maybe not quite. (laughs) But I was the one preaching that because that was their way of socializing. Do you know? And it's it's almost so different for a certain generation to understand that because a, a lot of the kids before even COVID will tell me, oh, you know, I have 10 friends. I'm like, oh, what do you guys do for fun? Where do you hang out? The 10 friends, ten, two are in Australia, one is in this one. I'm like, those are not friends. I will be so judgmental. Like, what are you talking about? I'm talking friends that you see. Like, sometimes I have to couch you with, do you have real friends? But but then I realized that for them, that's friendship. And the fact that we didn't grow up in that sort of technological um, world does not, um, does not take away the fact that they see them as real friends that hear the first things about them and know about this and they play games together and they watch some shows together and they know all about their days and that the person is in Australia. And so I was able to appreciate it more now during COVID because there was nobody could go out. I I do not know if you guys remember what March and April was like. It was like the end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) I'm driving to work and it was like nobody ghost town town. i could not believe it Mm -hmm. you know we kept going because we're inpatient doctors so we kept going everybody had gone virtual and i'm on the 101 thinking anything i could disappear right now no no other car will know do you Mm -hmm. know because the world so far apart i'm being dramatic but you get my (laughs) point (laughs)
2: Yes, yes
3: and so the ones that coped the best were the ones that were the online savvy do you know mm. that most of their yeah. friends yeah they were like this is the introverts now became oh this is my life they were thriving <laughs> they thrived they, thr- they thrived they really did the ones that i thought you know they were the popular kids that had friends out the, the jocks the sports they didn't thrive at all so it's made me have a full appreciation and some humility about what i say having said that you're right. That It can be very isolating as well, social media. And so we just have to find a balance because then there's the introverted kid that was not popular anyway. See, all these kids have fun. Do you know what I mean? Uh, From their school, but they're not part of the group. You know, sometimes they even know that things are happening, but they're not invited to the group and some groups are invitation only. And so you can further isolate them. Those kids did struggle a lot because... Nobody wanted to talk with them, and nobody would invite them to whatever. And they will see that people are playing; they're all passing comments. Do you see the game we played yesterday? They can see it um, on. I don't even know how Snapchat. I'm. I i do not tell the kids that because I'm. I'll be so unpopular. But I don't know how it works. (laughs) 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 But they can see all kinds of Snapchats, you know. Mm -hmm. But they're not part of it, or they cannot comment because they're not part of it. Mm -hmm. I. I don't know how it works. I'm just saying. I'm repeating half knowledge I know of what the kids would tell me. And so then it can be isolating. And so those parents need to be aware and to try and figure out how to help them in other ways to socialize. You know, and that's what I tell parents, that they're the ones, the introverts that had friends already, great. The introverts that that didn't have their phones because parents didn't believe in having phones, those ones will struggle because then they're very isolated. And all they'll hear from. Missy and everyone that, oh, we did this, we played this game, we all watched this together, we all talked about this show, we're all commenting on this and they're not part of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a mixed bag, but my um my sense of humility still remains about what I used to say about phones and social media. It still should be limited. I do not think people should have unlimited screen time, mm-hmm. but it's important for you to sort of moderate it and know that it's while we think it might not be real friendship it's real to them and it, they get the same sort of um the same sort of social um, interaction that we do when we talk to our friends over coffee yeah
0: it's not going away it's not, no. I
2: it's no. no matter how
3: much She's we scream why would he tell me that, that. I, I was hoping would we'll go, go. go. <laughs> <laughs> some part of me is
2: still thinking there'll be a world where one day you'll have a snapchat account and you'll be just snapping is it snapping i don't know someone help me out snap tweeting your your insta twitter
0: i think that's definitely it is that right i got it right yeah okay good
2: good
1: i have to say me and my 80 year old grandma every night we snapchat each other pictures of our dinner so
0: i got her on board that's
3: very nice that's actually nice if i could take my mom off social media i'll have accomplished something now hers is too much (laughs) She's forwarding me crazy things, and I'm like, Mom, please don't. <laughs> like, did you watch that video? I, no, I didn't watch it. And even if I wanted to watch it, I'll avoid watching it now because you sent it. <laughs> but yeah,
1: okay, I have a question. I don't even know how what how the question is gonna form, but uh, my little sister moved into a dorm um at eighteen, and all she you know, freshman in college. And all her doormates, they seemed to all be on like anti-anxiety, anti-depression medicine. It was just kind of this hub where they bonded almost over being sad. And um, I I didn't know really what to do with it. But for Christmas, I got my little sister a gratitude journal. And so I just asked her, you know, like three times a day or one time a day, you write down three things that you're most grateful for. And she took it with her back to college and did it with her little pod of friends. So I think it's like six or eight in a pod. And what was so amazing is after the first day, she told me they couldn't think of three things a day. And I, my jaw, like (laughs) my jaw was on the floor. I'm like, what? Like clean water, a roof over your head. But I'm just so curious to see like from your lens, why do why do you think that was that they couldn't think of three things?
3: I'm going, to, I'm going to do my best not to sound sanctimonious, I promise, because um, <laughs> I don't want to. No judgments. Um, no judgments. I think for me, honestly, when I see um, a teenager, I have to beyond emphasize the psychological aspect of their diagnosis, even much more than the biological aspect And I I believe strongly that sometimes that is not being emphasized. The importance of, you know, the medication, the biology, the biology of let's just imagine that this is depression. Okay, so you have low serotonin and it would be nice to have it replaced with medication. Much more than that is the psychology of depression, which is the the psychological symptoms. Let's take depression as a good example, would be a sense of hopelessness, a sense of, you know, not just helplessness, Um, feeling like everything is your fault, feeling like there's something inherently wrong with you, other than the biological aspect, which will be low energy, low appetite. You know, just those biological cyclical things um, that we go through, sleep, appetite, energy, and all of that will be what the medicine will take care of. But then you still have this psychological sense of helplessness that comes from feeling sad, and feeling like you cannot get past the sadness, you cannot get past that dark hole, it's very important to emphasize to them that there's a lot of um, psychological therapies that you need to do with the medication. Otherwise, it will be that part of all of us taking this very, very sexy drugs, but not addressing the psychological aspect of it. So I could go into the social, the religious aspect of all of most psychiatric illnesses but it's important and i think that's what's happening is that everyone just goes with the drive by to see their psychiatrist to get their medicine some people you know and nobody's emphasizing that it's biological psychological social and you need to do all three or even religious or even you know sexual you know in terms of sexuality or whatever it is you need to emphasize all of those things for it not, for it to be a full holistic treatment And so if I take the medicine and I'm feeling good, I have energy, I'm sleeping well, but I still feel hopeless and I still feel helpless and I still feel like, you know what, I'm dirt. And nobody's addressing that way of thinking. You get a part of people taking medicines and still not being able to find something they're grateful for. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that's another soapbox I have in terms of, you know, hoping that psychiatrists or people that see people that have psychiatric Um, diagnosis emphasize that because it's it's the depth of who you are as a person it's almost always hung in how you think of yourself Mm. right nobody says oh you know my biology is that i have this serotonin and this you know um no epinephrine nobody talks that way do you know what i mean (laughs) Uh, people it's really cool who, people, yeah great like <laughs> right. or i did i did a spec scan and the spec scan said this part about my brain nobody talks about that we're not that we're, we're 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 parts of you know what we see about ourselves how we see our future you know in terms of our hopes in terms of our desires in terms of our ability to attain those things and it's very packed in your psychology of yourself and that's why I will never do medicine alone, ever. And even if I did it because I'm a psychiatrist, then I will make sure that I emphasize the reasons why they need to see their therapist for those other things, or the reason they need to see their priest for that religious conflict, or the reason they need to talk more about the fact that you know gender identity or sexual um, orientation and how much it forms their social network and if they're accepted or not accepted, all of those things um, is very important to do.
2: I find that really interesting because in my practice, I have a really hard time, I thought it would be the opposite when I started doing more of this and they were coming more and more to see me, that I would probably be able to talk people into talking to a therapist or a counselor, but medicine, there's a lot of kind of stigma around medication and your kids on medication and, you know, we're making all kids zombies. There's just a lot of like thoughts that parents have. It's been a much easier conversation to talk about medicine than it is to say, I think we should find someone that you can talk to and really learn coping skills and learn to kind of confront where this comes from and what may have happened to you or what's going on. And usually I get a lot of, and I I understand why, but I get a lot of just sort of shaking their head, like, no way I'm not talking to somebody about this. Mm -hmm. And now sometimes I can get them on medicine and they get lifted up to where they can talk Mm -hmm. about it, but it's been a real struggle. And I thought it would be the opposite, but I think it, Maybe it's because it's easier, maybe because no, it yeah, works well, a yeah. little
3: faster, but. Truly, I think we're in a microwave world where everything needs to just be zapped real quickly <laughs> and you get your food, you know. no. And once again, no judgment. Uh, I can understand um, the desire for fast. You know, even I have zero tolerance for my patients suffering in terms of depression mm-hmm. or anxiety. But that's sometimes I get a piece of paper and I explain it to them in a way that This is this. This is this. If we do only this and this, this, you know, then they get it. Truly, they finally understand that. Can you imagine if you wanted to make cake and you only had two ingredients (laughs) where the men, um, the recipe called for five? What kind of cake are you going to get? Truly, I and I have silly parallels. Don't get me started on my parallels, but and so they finally understand. I'm like, these are all the things I need to be treated. The biology give them all the symptoms they told me. The psychology give them because I'm not making up the symptoms. You just told me that when I was taking my um, doing my evaluation and the social. What does you know your friendships? your this. You're doing poorly academically. I would point it out. So for this part, let's do this. For this part, so they understand that. If we only did this what's going to happen to this you're still doing poorly academically we need to get that 504 independent educational plan for you in place you know so that you can catch up and feel like you're not constantly behind because that will make you anxious and no matter how much medication i give you you still have reasons to be anxious right and so then i will put it on on, truly and say okay so this so what did i say we're going to do about this and this is what we're going to do so the parent and the child understands and um it's easier to digest that way and to say that i only have flour and eggs for my cake how about butter sugar you know what i don't want your all say do you know what i mean like (laughs) exactly (laughs) the sugar but and so they're able to understand um, that part even um even adhd as much as you know that's the one um one disorder that you can say oh you do medicine and oh my god (laughs) night and day do you know what i mean but you still have to unpack a lot of um the social consequences of them having adhd and people finding them so annoying because they're so disruptive and people still don't want to be their friends people still avoid them you have to still unpack that even though the medicine now makes them sit still and they're able to do the work and they go from straight f's to straight a's there's still something you could do about psychology mm-hmm. do you know what i mean there's still yeah. something you can do about social and so everything you just need to couch it that way because um sam's point is well taken about the medicine you see everyone just bring out you know their wallets of Zolaft.
2: Hmm. yeah so uh, You just put it in the water at this point
3: I <laughs> I will have to
1: say that that same group I was referring to, now they all um, are just happier individuals. I mean, that was two years ago. So I think a lot of growth has come out of there. They moved out of their dorms. They had more responsibility and everything. But I'll just never forget that of like not being able to think of three things you're grateful for. But I like the lens you put it in, like the non-judgmental. This is everything that they're experiencing is real and huge to them.
3: Thank you. You always remind me of something. I remember our patient and this mom brings this teenager. And after my evaluation, I sat down and I said, this is normal teenager. The mom was floored. Do you know what I mean? Like this is a developmental stage and everything she's doing is textbook acceptable. She's not your best friend. She shouldn't be your best friend. She's not confiding in you. She should not confide in you. She's not running home wanting to hug you and stay on your bed with you. She shouldn't do that. Do you know, like all of the things mom had concerns about i said if she did everything you have concerns about or you want her to do i would i would have concerns and i'm the psychiatrist it was the funniest conversation we've ever had about you know just developmental stages this is normal she you shouldn't when she's 24 and she's like having relationship problems then you become her best friend by you not can we say screw but well you not messing this time up you know in terms of wanting to hold her so badly to your chest like don't mess that up so that she can come back to you when she's 24 and say mom this guy's driving me nuts you know and then she was like okay but it took her a while for her to wrap her head around the fact that her child is she's not the best thing in life anymore for her child her friends are yeah. it's like, that's that's okay that's okay <laughs> that's <Yeah>. okay <laughs> it's like oh no zoloft I'm joking.
1: <laughs> Russell, I know you're dying to ask her a question.
2: Oh, so well, I I don't want to get too serious right now, but uh, is so you're a child psychiatrist? Is the inside of a child's mind just like the movie Inside Out? Because I really hope it's just like My the movie Inside Out.
3: My mind is absolutely like that I, I love that movie I love it so much I cannot tell you how I think when I was done I must have gone on Google to see who wrote it who what what made them write it because it was just so so good I prescribed it multiple times for lots of kids especially my anxious kids truly I did I was like, go watch inside out we can talk about it mm-hmm. you know and yeah it, it, my mind is like that some kids in terms of just being able to um communicate what you're feeling i thought it did a better job than i could ever do to communicate with a child it was very very good i loved it um after lion king <laughs> and now <I'm> frozen it's a classic it's a new classic yes it's a new cl- yes no i love um yeah i wouldn't say every kid's mind is that way but yeah to an a mind is like that is yours like that? I
2: I feel like it is. I I probably I want to be like the adults in the movie because they're like five little characters all talk to each other mm-hmm. and work together. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes I just go from like anger to just what are the other ones disgust mm-hmm. and joy. Like I I need to have like a conversation, like a little committee meeting and stuff. I'm deciding and then decide how to move forward yeah. like a mature adult should. But we're working on that still. Um, yeah, I think that was that was big because it showed I, I think we talked about this to mm-hmm. start that um, a lot of people don't want to talk about the fact that they're struggling. I think adults do this, too. We talked a lot about kids because you're a child psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the same with adults that it gets hidden. You know, I th- the classic thing I think about is we all say, hey, how are you doing? That's like the greeting, you know, but everyone just says good, everyone says they're good. No one is good all the time. We're probably not good more than we're good, but you know, I don't wanna burden people or get into it or whatever. And so I think it's the more kind of in pop culture, there is this idea of like, this is okay to talk about. And I think that's when they come in to see me or see their person, whoever takes care of their healthcare and um, they can say, yeah, I think I'm depressed. And then then they can work with Sam's sister on journaling <laughs> what to do. Gratitude. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> hmm.
0: I like what you said though about how it could be, what did you call it? Just an event you had kids that come to you because of COVID, and it's mm-hmm. an event. That they were struggling with Mm -hmm. and then they go back and if you know they see their other friends Mm -hmm. adjusting Mm -hmm. and then they aren't then maybe there's something biological there Mm -hmm. but sometimes Mm -hmm. it's what did you call it the event or the yeah
3: yeah adjustment yeah it could just be adjustment and adjustment can last as long as um a year Mm -hmm. truly some people it takes a while And if it's still the recurring theme of, you know, I'm just having a hard time. I've seen that with, you know, like blended family, divorced kids Mm. that were desperately hoping their parents would get back together. And then their parents got with other people. So there's just a lot of adjustment to what they saw their life be like, if their parents, the fantasy of it, and then how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it it takes a while before they finally realize this is a new normal. This is going to be my stepdad. My dad is not going to get back with my mom ever again. And so you see the, a lot of family dynamic conflicts until then the child just settles into, okay, he's not such a bad man. But it takes a long time and it's just still adjustment. And you just leave it at that mm-hmm. and just continue to help them, you know, come to terms with it. Because a year of magical thinking is childhood. Do you know what I mean? Everything is magical thinking um and how long that lasts for and most people the um developmental psychologist will tell you the timeline but you know it's just still a continuum and some people still have magical thinking even though they're much older of this going to happen and when it happens it's going to be amazing. And so to now take that away can be very devastating. Do you know it's like it's not going to happen. Like I cannot tell you that your parents are never Going to get back together, no matter how perfect your grade is, no matter how much you make your bet, no matter how you say all the right things, and you, you know, these kids with anxiety, they will come up with, "I just need to be nice. I just need to, you know, just make sure that I'm not stressing my mom out. You know, I'm not. All of that. It can be very devastating when it finally sinks in that this is not going to happen, and there's, n- I have no control over it, and that's what makes child psychiatry for me, very, very interesting and different, and maybe sometimes hard, is that adults have control. That child truly is dependent <laughs> for the most part. And so when pa- parents come and say, the behavior is so manipulative, it's this, this. Yeah, it has to be manipulative because they're dependent on you. <laughs> so they have to manipulate you. <laughs> you know, I I, I mean that. I, and I, I do not mean to sweep away manipulative behavior under the carpet, but that's how they have their needs met. <laughs> they have to. They cannot have a hundred dollars somewhere hidden. You know, They don't have control. They cannot go out at night without someone stopping a five-year-old and saying, where in the world are you going to, you know, stuff, they just don't have that control. And so they have to find ways for you to do it for them. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, it's um, it's childhood can, you know, if it's done right, can be the best time of a child's life or the worst, you know? And so the appeal is for parents to know and to be aware and to be emotionally aware of their kids to serve them right. Um, because when it's not, it's just, I mean, it's filled with a lot of just damaging consequences. And that's what we see, and it's very hard because you wish you had um, time. You wish you had control over time to go back and do it again, where you cannot for that child. They've seen all of that trauma. Where do you start from? So you just do what you can, but yeah. Um, i had a good childhood a very good one i cannot complain i love my childhood i will do it over again and so sometimes the idealistic part of me wishes everyone had that you know what i mean that unconditional positive regard unconditional love your parents were in tune with you emotionally they were not perfect my parents are not even close to being perfect but for the most part i had my needs met and that's just what to do much more than serotonin Mm -hmm. or (laughs) to create a well-developed human. Right. Um, so, so box over.
2: (laughs) 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 So where, where do you see your field going in the future? Because we clearly don't have enough psychiatrists for everyone to have, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of quick access to that Mm -hmm. primary care, probably can't completely keep up with it. Um, uh, so what, what comes next for
3: psychiatry? That's really tough questions because some part of me has been very um, heartened by the fact that a lot of people are understanding psychiatry more and they're seeing the importance, especially honestly with COVID. Those are the silver linings of COVID. It's made people now talk about the emotional development of a child. So I'm hoping in a perfect world that um, the field of child psychiatry is emphasized such that it becomes like the way we did primary care. I did, um, I did my med school in Rockford. I went from Champagne to Rockford, where rural med and family medicine was, if you go into it. I mean, that was the emphasis on it, you know, because we had we were sh- we were short of family uh, medicine. I'm hoping that there'll be a recognition that there's a huge, humongous shortage of child psychiatry, and so for them to emphasize the training for it, because. Honestly, um, if we don't, I'm worried about who sees those kids, what 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 happens, you know. And um, more and more um, people are having a lot more emotional issues at a younger age. I'm not sure why they're just presenting a lot more, um, a lot younger. I saw a 14-year-old today that I had to keep reminding myself she's 14. Truly, the things she said were so harrowing, and it was she's 14. Really, she's lived the life of a 34-year-old, you know. And so they're presenting a lot. And 10 years ago, there'll be a 20-year-old saying all of that, and I still will be flabbergasted, you know, like at 20, you know. And so I'm hoping that um, we emphasize it, you know, as a a culture, as a nation, and um, we get more people in training for it um, because the need is there. And it's important... I'm trying to um, be very diplomatic. It's important to get the right training for it, and not act like kids are little adults because they're not. Mm-hmm. And say, oh, you know, anyone that you know takes this class or takes that class can see a child with um, psychiatric issue. No, you need good training so that we do not become a nation of Prozac. Prozac. Have you seen that movie, Prozac Nation? I haven't. Okay. No. We don't become a nation of. Let's Let's not not talk talk about it. it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, or pros that or whatever. whatever. Like, like, it's it's much much more more than than that. that. Um, There's there's the science of it, and there's the art of it, and you just need good training to hone in on that, so that um, when when you see a child, you do the right thing and not see a child to see a child, and we check that. You know, at least it's someone. You know, it's not that you shouldn't. You shouldn't see someone that wouldn't do make a difference or might make things worse. It's not worth it. So that's what I'm hoping.
2: What about technology? I mean, can we use telehealth or even just your phone with a camera to, I mean, there's got to be a way to connect
3: more. Silver lining of COVID. Truly. We've talked about that forever. And people act like it's like voodoo, truly to say, let's do telehealth. But now that we couldn't, and they've seen, it's amazing. I have friends that do outpatient that says the best thing they saw that day is a, a child's room to finally understand the child. Do you know what I mean? Maybe they did a telehealth or the child's pet. Finally, you know, it just gives you more. And I, could, it, could it be bad? I'm not sure. I cannot even come up with something negative. But I'm saying that it even gives you our society. We we're so used to thinking about things sometimes in one way. Right. And sometimes that one way becomes the right way that we're not um we're not thinking outside the box and COVID has made us do that and we see that sometimes we can get a richness of someone's life versus them coming to our office from just the child, you know, zooming in and mm-hmm. you're able to see, Oh my God, your room. What died <laughs> in there? Oh, what crept in there? <laughs> and uh, it's well it they will take it well from Me than their parents. Don't ask me why. You know. Oh, let me clean it. I'm going to see Dr. Alayo today. You know. I've seen people do that. You know. You know (laughs) they're cleaning. Yeah, you know they're cleaning. (laughs) (laughs) Because you. But it's so that. um, So I'm hoping that with telehealth, it's still one person and they cannot do ten different things at once. But that um, it makes our um, outside the box and imagination of seeing kids um, different and um, I think more in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like you said, um, you see a child in the emergency department, maybe they just overdosed, and um, they're waiting for a bed because we have limited amount of beds for child psychiatry in the valley. And then you can have a psychiatrist zoom into the ER and see the child almost immediately then to wait two, three months to see a specialist. Mm-hmm. you know. And so then you can do that, at least start the come, for me, why I like um, inpatient is I love starting the conversation, you know, of just mentally preparing the entire family for this is the course of the illness, this is what we're going to do. I've, maybe I'm lying to myself, but honestly, I feel like it's so important for them to have that overview as a, as a template for what they're looking for eventually. So what sort of therapist you should look for, what sort of things you should do at school, what sort of things you should do in terms of medicine, just give them that, you know? And so not to wait two more or three more months when your child is already suicidal for that. Yeah. Makes all the difference in the world.
1: I gotta say, I've learned so much from you today. This has been really fun.
3: Sam, you're just so nice. I hope you did. <laughs>
1: one of us has to be yeah and we've had you for a whole hour so nobody else has other questions i got to know what's a day in medicine that you've had that still to this day makes you laugh
3: i was thinking about that question you know i have a soft spot for kids that have autism because they're so transparent (laughs) sometimes oh well some of them are i shouldn't they're 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 more transparent than your quote unquote neurotypical kids, and so I remember I'd not slept well um, a day, and I truly am grumpy when I don't sleep well. Truly, I, I I wish it wasn't the case, and so I go to the hospital and I see my patient, and I thought I was holding it together just seeing the um th- this child with the autism. And so he was taking me in. He didn't say anything. He gave me all of the questions. I mean, gave me all the answers to my questions. We did this. This is what we're going to do, you know. And it was over, you know. But I knew that day I was struggling. I just not slept well. I didn't know what happened. I think I was on call, too. So I was called through the night and I was just irritated. But I thought I did a good job hiding it. And most people thought so, too. And most people, the next day, when I see the same patient and I'd slept well, He um, said, are you the same person I saw yesterday?
2: Siri tried to interrupt.
3: (laughs) (laughs) He said, are you the same doctor I saw yesterday? And I said, yes, why? He was like, because you're different. And I asked, oh, what do you mean by that? It was like, you look better today. Yesterday you had bags under your eyes and you were not so so nice. nice. (laughs) 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 I was like. Thank you. I totally appreciate that. I had not slept well. It was like, oh, you... And he's still taking me very seriously. I'm still trying to laugh over it. You know, like, I am so sorry. Um, I had not slept well. You are so right that I was... So you thought I was grumpy? He said, yeah, you had this line between your eyes. He just looked... um, And so I'm glad you're my doctor today. Yesterday, not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Still trying to laugh over it. And um, he said... um, What was it he said? He said one final thing that I think... um, He said... um, For your information, it's just best for you to always sleep well before you come see us, you know, so that we can, so I can have the person I had today. I said, I totally appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> but it was, I, I, I laughed so hard. I think I got in my office. I couldn't stop laughing. snort was coming out of my nose. I was, it was just so refreshing because he, he was right. Mm-hmm. He was so right. And he said it from, with all honesty. Mm-hmm. And he said he likes me better. When I sleep, I like me better when I sleep. And it was nice to get that validation from someone I didn't have to get that validation from. Not trying to make you laugh. Yeah, he was telling me flat out, you you know, you were terrible yesterday. You just were grumpy. Do better. And whatever will stop you from not sleeping, try and avoid it because you're better today. You know, (laughs) so, yeah, it still makes me laugh. I mean, I just I appreciated that. You know, sometimes you feel like you're in control and they're the patient. It's nice to just be brought back to earth mm-hmm. in the way he did it without any sort of guile. He was not being nasty. He was just mm-hmm. telling me a fact. And I-
0: Where else can you get that?
3: Nowhere, nowhere. nowhere. <laughs> Cause apparently the day before everyone had lied to me. <laughs> Yeah, everyone lied to me. Yes, everyone Everyone lied to me. And you just told me how important my sleep was and to try to get some sleep if I'm going to come see patient. I totally appreciate that. (laughs) So, I
2: I guess I'm just curious about one more thing, which is how you work in a a job. It's, you know, oncology, like you said, has Mm -hmm. its downfalls, and every job has its bad days and tragic moments and sad things. But, how do you do what you do and not? You know, just drink Zoloft all day. You're
3: right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How do you take care of yourself? Because I, I mean, I hope there's a lot of healthcare workers that are listening, and, and what do you do?
3: Sincerely, that is are days that are more difficult than not. And I think why I feel like this um, particular inpatient is the perfect fit for me is that we're, we work as a team. So there's a shared feeling of, oh my God, are you as exhausted hearing that as I am? Do you know what I mean? We share it. Um, and someone will then validate you in the moment. You know, I found that when I did outpatient in my own silo, it was harder. It was harder to take all of that in and not feel like, what am I doing? What's the point? Do you know what I mean? You know, But in, in a team, we share, even today, talking about that 14-year-old that lived the life of a 24-year-old, I just looked at the case manager and we, just a look, and we had conveyed to each other that we get, this is a little crazy, but um, there was just that validation. You know, like, we, yeah, we're going to talk about this and we're going to unpack this later, but yeah. Are you hearing what I'm hearing? Do you know, like, just that, yeah. So that that's good. Also, other than that, I do a good job compartmentalizing my life. You know, I have to if I'm going to be useful to anyone. So that's why also inpatient works out for me. So as soon as I get in the car, I just play music and I let it go. You know, like I've done the best I can for today and truly without sounding like I'm perfect, I'm not. Every day I put my all in it because I'm always all in. I, I do not know how to be halfway. So I'm all in and then I can take myself out and just do other activities outside of it. but. Um, I always have that satisfaction that I give it the best I can for now. We'll see how this goes. But, yeah. Great. We're so yeah. thankful to have
0: had you today. <laughs> Thank um, you so much. You got a lot of good stuff. I, I thought so. it went really well. I hope
3: so. <laughs> yeah. First guest. <laughs> so, Thank first you, guys. This was cool. very Thank fun.
2: You. That was really great. Didi is so fun to talk to. I, I just love like her energy about everything. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. So this was really fun, guys. Let's do this over and over and over again. (laughs) Uh, So hopefully uh, whatever platform you're listening to this on, please uh, subscribe, give us a review. We're happy to get feedback. Um, Thank you, Kaylee. Thank you, Sam, for everything you've done. I've just showed up and talked. So that was great.
0: (laughs) And it was awesome. (laughs) Yeah.
2: All right. Until next time. Thanks, everybody.